2: Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show Podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show.
0: Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show. This is not Georgine. She is actually in Guatemala. And uh she is doing a project with food for the poor, which is actually very exciting. Love to be there with her. She will be returning on Monday. And this is Pastor Rich Jones. I'm the pastor at Calvary Chapel Worship Center in Hillsborough. And I am in the studios today with Pastor Matthew Dodd. He is a, an associate with us there at Calvary Chapel Hillsboro. Matthew, great to be with you. Glad you're here. With Blessing
1: me. to be with you. Great to have this opportunity to uh, speak and talk about what God is doing in Israel today.
0: Yeah. And, I'm, I, and I love just sitting here in these studios and uh, sitting in this a chair that Georgine sits in and and blesses this whole community she's been a faithful faithful servant of the Lord here on the radio for so many years and dear friend and I am so thankful for her and grateful for the opportunity what a blessing she is in our life and our ministry she's spoken at our church many times and uh, blessed many of us and she's got an amazing voice led worship too led worship anyway Georgine We love you. Thank you for this opportunity. But today we're here in the studios, and and we're talking. I want to talk about Israel, and I want to talk about the significance of Israel in the future, specifically in regards to the unfolding of prophecy of Scripture. And Matthew, I know this is something that's near and dear to your heart. And uh, in fact, Matthew and I had the opportunity to go to Israel together uh, February, March of last year. That was your first time?
1: It was an amazing trip, you know, and it was one of those bucket list items for me, and it was so amazing to actually see, you know, what I've read about, and it just made it come alive. You know, it was like the difference between watching TV in black and white, and now you have vivid color, and all of a sudden you get the feel and the taste and just the sense of of the history, but also... Mm -hmm. The idea of what God's going to do in the future—it really was overwhelming.
0: What were some of the 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 things that really stood out as highlights for you? Because I know a lot of people listening would love to go to Israel, and uh, it's it's on the bucket list. I think of a lot of Christians. I want to go there. I want to see, uh, you know, the place where Jesus walked in the the Mediterranean and. And uh, the Sea of Galilee and, and Jerusalem and, you know, the Dead Sea and Masada. and I mean, there's just
1: so many things. What really stood out for you when you visited? You know, the one thing that, I mean, there's many. I mean, obviously going to the Garden Tomb, yeah. Uh, going to Golgotha, but to stand on the Mount of Olives mm-hmm. and then look towards right. that gate where Jesus is going to return, mm-hmm. for me, that was just overwhelming. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't take my eyes off of that gate mm-hmm. and, and the reality of this is where Jesus is going to come back. Right. Because so much of, of Christianity oftentimes is just looking back to what he did when he died on the cross mm-hmm. and was resurrected, which, praise God for all of that. But mm-hmm. then to know that he's coming back again, and this is where he's going to touch down mm-hmm. and and everything changes from that moment forward. For me, I, I took picture after picture after picture Uh, different angles, because it was just so overwhelming to realize this is where it's all going to happen Mm -hmm. in the
0: future. And really setting the stage for that, when we go to Israel—in fact, we're actually planning on taking a a group of folks to Israel this September, and uh, looking forward to it. We're going to have a large group of people, but it's so exciting to see people's faces light up when they see the Bible come to life— the the, the 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 significance begins to really dawn on them of what they are seeing. That's exciting for me to think about going again this fall with that group. But one of the iconic places is the Mount of Olives, which many people know is immediately to the east of Jerusalem. So when Jesus was entering Jerusalem, that that great triumphant entry that we we celebrate every Palm Sunday. He was descending down, and as you descend down that side of the Mount of Olives, there's Jerusalem, right? It just lays out before you in this beautiful, beautiful unfolding scene, especially if you do it in the morning, you know, when the morning light is just coming uh, uh, across your your shoulder right onto the city, lighting it up from that same view. Jesus— Watched, saw Jerusalem, the brilliance of that light shining on the temple that would have been Solomon's temple. Right, the beauty of what he saw was magnificent. But it tells us he stopped as he's descending. He stopped, looked out of Jerusalem, and began to weep. Actually, it was the the scripture describes it as a deep weeping, like a like the 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 very core is being rocked. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you, as a hen would gather her chicks under her wings, but you would not have it. And then he lays forth this prophecy. Not one stone will be left upon another. The city will be left to you desolate, for you did not know the time of your visitation. Weeping as he declares this prophecy. And as we know, of course, that was fulfilled in 70 AD when the city was destroyed by the Romans. Indeed, that temple was destroyed, pushed off the Temple Mount. When you go to Jerusalem, we actually see those stones pushed off the Temple Mount. On, on the southern end particularly, there's a great pile of these stones. And uh, so that place, that, that side of the mountain where Jesus descended, is right there before us. And then you look across the Kidron Valley, of course, to see the Temple Mount and that gate, which is the Golden Gate, sometimes called the Eastern Gate. But it's interesting because uh, uh, history, in history, uh, some of Islam, Muslims, built a, a cemetery, grave. Shilamon. There. Mm-hmm. Uh, and why? Thinking to thwart the... The the prophecy of God that the Messiah, the long awaited Messiah, would come, step foot on the Mount of Olives. This is, of course, from Zechariah, and would descend and would enter in Jerusalem through the eastern gate, the Golden Gate. And uh, so, when you're seeing it there with all that cemetery in front, you know they put it there thinking that no holy man would walk through a a, a sealed up the gate,
1: so there's no access.
0: Sealed up the gate. And yet you know from prophecy that Scripture tells us in Zechariah that when he sets foot on the Mount of Olives, it splits in two, and the way is opened, uh, nothing can thwart the will of God, which is one of the great points, of course. Amen. <clears throat> so that that is one of the highlights. And, of course, the garden tomb. Garden right?
1: tomb. The other thing was you, you and I praying together at the uh, the wall. And that was a very moving tar- time for me because we were so close to the, the foundation, you know, right. of... Of Herod's temple, and just right. the thought of, of all that has transpired, and, and Solomon's temple, that would have been all built in that area. It was very, very moving for me, just a, that sense of touching history.
0: But here's the key it is history, but it's prophecy. Because what we understand from Scripture, and this is what I want to get into today on this program, is that Israel will be the center of the unfolding of prophetic events, and Jerusalem will be the center in particular. It will be the epicenter of prophecy coming, Jerusalem itself. That's why it's so important that we as believers understand history, and we understand prophecy, and Israel is in the center of all of that. If we don't understand that, then we as Christians, I think, do great error, because Jesus told us to watch and be ready, and to be watchful, for the signs of the times, and that's one of the things I would like to do as well as we dive into this program. Is what are those signs that we should be watching for, and what are we seeing today? And then let's take a look at what's unfolding in the nations of the world as they relate. To that prophecy we 're going to take a break in a few right now we 're going to come back in a few moments and let 's dive into this i 'm excited that that the people listening to this program are going to have an insight and an understanding of the significance of what is happening prophetically. Prophecy is unfolding before our eyes. These are important days. these are critical days. I think everyone listening can sense this world is changing, something is on the move. We need to understand that. We're going to take a break. We're going to dive into this today. So glad that you're here. We'll be back in just a few moments.
2: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. is aired on ninety three point nine KPDQ.
0: Welcome back. This is the Georgine Rice Show. This is Pastor Rich Jones and Pastor Matthew Dodd. We're from Calvary Chapel in Hillsboro. We're having the privilege today of sitting in the, the studio and and. Uh, hosting this program while Georgine is in Guatemala. She will be returning on Monday. We are talking today, Pastor Matthew, about the significance of Israel, and we're talking in the beginning here, segments, uh, in regards to their their history. I want to talk, of course, about their future and prophecy unfolding, but I want to talk a little bit, uh, of course, about the significance of that land, the land itself. Whose land is it, anyway? You know, that's a that's a critical question because it really drives us to the conflicts of the Middle East. The Middle East is the hotspot of the world today. And I think it's very important for listeners to understand why. Why is the Middle East the hot spot? Well, primarily because Israel the land that Israel stands on is a land that many claim to be their own. The Palestinian Arabs and I think it's important at some point in this program to talk about what does that mean when we use the phrase Palestinian Arabs? What exactly does that mean? Who are Palestinians? But their claim, of course, is that this is our land. And they would say, look, we were in this land for, for hundreds, if not thousands of years before Israel ever got here. So why does Israel make a prior claim to that?
1: And I think you have to look at Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. Those mm-hmm. are your two key passages in Genesis 12, Uh, Verses uh, 1 through 3 The Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And then you have Genesis 15 where God promises Abraham the land, and Abraham believed God, the promise that he would have a son, mm-hmm. and that God also said and reconfirmed that he would give him a land, the land, and he believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Mm-hmm. And so really, if you look at what's happening here, is you have a, a suzerain covenant that's being established where the king is promising to bless The subject. Mm -hmm. And so these are the things that I'm going to do for you, Abraham, because you have trusted me, Mm -hmm. and there's nothing that you do to earn it. You just simply receive the blessings of it. It's unconditional, and it's eternal.
0: Now, I
1: think even Islam would,
0: would recognize that. The dividing point comes in who is that son of promise. Exactly.
1: Because, is it Ishmael or is it Isaac?
0: Well, okay, because we know that Abraham was given this great promise. He would have a son, and that this son would be the one to receive all of those promises that you just read and more. And uh, and so as we know the story, of course, uh, Sarah uh, thought that perhaps she, being very old herself, thought perhaps well she could have a, a child... Through her handmaiden. And Which was common in that day. It case. was culturally common. If a woman is barren, then the the uh, handmaiden, the as- personal assistant, you might even call it, would get pregnant. Okay. And then if that child was born on the knees of the wife, that would become adopted boy. Now that child becomes... Literally it would become Sarah's child.
1: Mm-hmm. With all the rights and privileges of the firstborn, the blessing associated with it. So that's what
0: they did. Exactly. Interestingly, however, uh even though Ishmael was born on her knee, she did not adopt the boy. Mm-mm. And in fact, what arose instead was conflict. Uh Hagar became kind of um sassy. Okay. <laughs> that's <laughs> a good word for it. A little sassy. It's like I now she's thinking she's all that, sure. right? She's the one now. She's going
1: to uh, Sarah saying, "Not in my house."
0: Not my house. She's going to usurp exactly the authority, and Sarah get you know is angry actually, and um,
1: and then Abraham defers. He says, "What's this to do with me? She's yeah. your handmaid, and you do with her as you wish."
0: Right, and so she mistreats her. Sarah mistreats Hagar, and then as a result, uh, uh, she's kicked out of the house, and she runs right. And uh, God meets Hagar Mm. and gives this interesting prophecy about Ishmael, about the boy, that he will be, you will have a son, he will be a father of nations, many nations will come from him, but he'll be a wild donkey of a man. And that there will be constant conflict with those around him, and as we know, that Ishmael became the father of the modern Arab nations. Now, of course, we know from Scripture that that is not the son that God promised. And so God met him again, came back to him again, and and uh, confirmed that promise, but then made it very, very clear, no, you will have a son through Sarah. And, of course, this is an amazing part of the story. Yeah,
1: actually, uh, verse 18 of chapter 17 and Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. Yeah. But God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you should call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Exactly. That
0: is that son who will receive that covenant of promise. Okay, now there's the dividing point, of course, because then once the, she does, indeed, the next year she gets pregnant, she has a son— Isaac, and uh, as their boys are being raised, there's conflict in the home. What happens, of course, is is that the older boy, Ishmael, he starts actually kind of picking on, if you can say it that way, kind of picking on the the, the young boy, Isaac, and Sarah has had enough. So she tells Abraham, out, that woman, you know can almost say it that way. I want that woman and that boy out of this house because that boy, Ishmael, is not going to have any part with my son. And that's the dividing point. And out it goes, God meets her as we know and, and saves the boy and makes all these promises. So this is a critical point because now we understand why Islam actually believes they've got a claim to that land Because they say, no, Ishmael is the son of promise. And all of those promises flow from
1: Abraham to Ishmael. That's our land.
0: So this is important to recognize. It does go; the conflict goes way back.
1: And God does promise in Genesis seventeen to bless, bless Ishmael because of Abraham, but that doesn't mean the blessings that are intended for Isaac are now extended to Ishmael instead.
0: Right. And it's also important to recognize that that prophecy that there would be constant conflict, be, you know, between Ishmael and and his brothers. You might say, or those around him is being played out in the world scene today. Because when we look at the conflict in the Middle East, we've got to trace it right back to that conflict that was happening between Ishmael and Isaac, and we're seeing it between the Arab nations and Israel today. Not just the Arab nations, however, because Iran is not Arab. That's a great point. Neither were were the Turks. There, there was an Islam factor, of course, and that's part of the, the unfolding of this scene of world history and of prophecy. It's important to recognize where all of this and how all of this comes together. So we go back to that, that claim of that land, and uh, that's important because we know, of course, that Israel has been—that's been their homeland for many, many years. But why did they lose that land? Because they rejected their Messiah. Now, now that's now
1: you're tying it all in together. So we go backwards, but now we go also to the time of Jesus. Right. And we're connecting the dots.
0: Now we go forward because we have to understand the significance of that land and the significance of that history. Now we gotta take a break. We're gonna come back. We're gonna understand now how Israel got back to that land. And, and the significance of that for prophecy is really key because it gives us a lot of things. Explanation about the modern Palestinian problem, which we must understand, and the unfolding of prophecy in regards to Israel in the future. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back in just a few moments, and we're going to dive into this again.
2: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
0: We are back. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show. Georgine is out today, and uh, this is Pastor Rich Jones and Pastor Matthew Dodd. We work together at Calvary Chapel in Hillsboro. So glad that you're with us today. We're talking about the history of Israel, but the significance of Israel in the days to come in the unfolding of prophecy. And we're really talking about this for several reasons. One, we need to understand um, the, the backdrop of Israel to understand the future, that's a really key component, and, and I think every listener that's paying any attention at all to what's happening in the world senses there is something changing. There's, it really
1: does feel like Pandora's box, the lid was removed. Things are just accelerating at a pace that's right. that I've never seen before, and many others are commenting the same way.
0: There is a storm cloud on the horizon. And everyone senses it's increasing. There's a danger, an increasing danger. We are in the midst of spiritual warfare, but we're talking about spiritual warfare of such dynamic. We're talking about the nations of the world. I think most listeners listening to this program can sense that there is a spiritual, dark spiritual component to the events that are unfolding in the nations of the world today. Now, I'm getting a little ahead of myself because I want to talk about that here on this program a little bit later. But I want to build up to it. I want to build into the, to the significance of what's happening by looking a little bit at the history. We talked about Israel and their claim to that land and where that came from. Uh, but we also now have to understand why they lost it. And the answer is really from Jesus himself, who said... When he cried, wept over Jerusalem, 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 how I long to gather you as a hen would gather her chicks, but you would not have it. Behold, your city is laid to you desolate. Not one stone will be left upon another, referring to the temple. And we've been there. We know they pushed it off of the the temple mount. Now, That was fulfilled in 70 A.D. when the Romans destroyed Israel. And there was a dispersion, and there were other events as well, but there was a dispersion amongst the nations, the diaspora. Many of them went to Europe uh, and other places, to Central Europe, and to some even in Eastern Europe. Um, And so the the years unfolded. Let's run fast through those centuries. The years unfolded. Uh, But you know what's interesting? Never in the history of the world has it ever been so that a nation that has been dispersed amongst the other nations has survived as a people, distinct in culture and language unto themselves. Now, it's true the Hebrew language was lost, you might say. It kind of turned into Yiddish, uh, you know, but it was always present in the Hebrew Bible. And so that's another interesting factoid. Hebrew has been resurrected, if I can use that word. And and uh, Israel finds themselves back in that land, but in the mean, meantime, during the centuries, there's a lot of anti-Semitism, and why? That's important to recognize. Because, and you know, the Crusades have to be attributed to this as well. What was that anti-Semitism about? Well, one of those, and there's many, but one of those is that the Jews were blamed for crucifying Christ.
1: Well, they did say. Let his blood be on us and on our children, and so they would take that whose days, um, the Jews. Oh, the Jewish leaders, Jesus right, right. When Pontius Pilate, In
0: front of Pontius Pilate, his so, blood be upon words, us. Yes, right. Now, having said that, in reality, however, I think it, it it is a wrongful thing to blame the Jews for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The How so? Well because it was the very intent of God from the beginning of the world to bring a redeemer his son you go all the way back to Genesis and the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sin that came through the the providing of animal skin for a covering for Adam and
1: Eve instead of the uh, the the fig leaves and That's... the promise you know that the seed of right. the woman would crush the head of the serpent Right I mean, you could, you could run through all
0: of the scriptures, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Numbers, all of this points towards a Redeemer, and the, the blood of the atonement, the blood of that sacrifice. So, all of that was for a reason, for the sin of man. In other words, what I'm trying to say is, rather than blame the Jews for the crucifixion of Jesus, in reality... All of us. It's on all of us. It's our sin. He died for the sins of the world. And so to blame the Jews is really to foment anti-Semitism, and it's not correct.
1: And you do see that within uh, certain segments of the Christian population, this idea of, well, since the Jews rejected Jesus and mm-hmm. crucified him, the Church now replaces Israel and inherits all the blessings that were given to Israel in his Thus, and re- therefore, replacement theology. Replacement theology, and therefore, we have justification for discarding the Jews, or, they... or being quiet with regards to any ill treatment towards the Jews, so even from the Church.
0: You and I, of course, are not in that camp of replacement theology. Exactly. We both believe that the promises made to Israel are eternal promises— and that he will return at the end of the
1: age, and all Israel will be saved, which is what Paul said in the book of Romans. You have to also fulfill Second Samuel 7, where God made a promise to David that there would be one that would be from right. his line that would reign on the throne forever, and it would be an eternal reigning cool. right. on the throne of David. So so very, very fascinating. That is yet to be fulfilled. Right. And that's why we look forward to also the coming of Jesus Christ. And, it, uh,
0: and of course, Jews today still look for their Messiah. There are still eyes to to watch, you know, and it's very, very interesting because you and I, when we were in uh, when we were in Israel this last year, we had the opportunity to go to the home of a Jewish rabbi and have dinner with other pastors who were present as well. Well, what an opportunity! You don't get an opportunity to sit with a Jewish rabbi, you know, and ask questions from the Christian perspective very often. And uh, so one of the yeah, questions. We had a Sabbath dinner it was <clears throat> wonderful. Oh, a Sabbath dinner and the blessing as they blessed their kids. I Absolutely. mean, it really was wonderful. But uh, what was interesting is that again, opportunity. Ask questions. One of the uh, pastors asked the question, "You don't, uh, you don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Is that right?" Well, that's he said, "Yeah, that's right." Why the pastor asked, "Why do you believe Jesus is not the Messiah?" And his answer was actually very interesting and fairly insightful. And his answer was, because the scriptures say that when the Jewish Messiah comes, he will defeat the enemies of Israel. This Jesus did not do. Which led to your question from Isaiah 53. But it is an interesting question, because that is, in fact, where the disciples themselves got off track. Mm Mm-hmm. Because the disciples, many of them believed that, in fact, Jesus, okay, Jesus is the Messiah. They, they began, is this not the one, right? And in John 7, John 8, is this not the one? And uh, the disciples, believing that he was the one, then believed he's going to overthrow Rome, right? And then uh, the two sons of thunder, James and John, uh, yeah. when you come into your kingdom, permit us to sit on the right and to the left, right? What, what kingdom are they thinking the earthly kingdom. Jesus is going to overthrow Rome. Uh, Peter thought this as well. And this was one of the things that Jesus had to correct with him. Why did he have to correct them? Because this was the expectation. When the Messiah comes, is he not going to overthrow the enemies of Israel? And so this is an interesting thing. This is one of the reasons that Jews do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, this leads us to a very interesting answer or follow-up question that we had an opportunity to ask this Jewish rabbi. And I, we, we have to pause right here and uh, come back, and we're going to answer that question in just a few moments, because it's key to understanding prophecy. It's a key. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back in a few moments, and then we're going to dive into that question. So glad that you're joining us on this program today.
2: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
0: We are back. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show. This is Pastor Rich Jones, Pastor Matthew Dodd. We're in the studios today. Georgine is in Guatemala and uh, she is uh, doing a work with food for the poor. What which,
1: do you think? Do you think it's more warm there than it is here right now? I have now? a
0: feeling it's probably yes. a little warmer. Although, I'll tell you what, I am not complaining. Really? This is nice. This is January, and it's like 50 degrees. Oh, my goodness. Give me the
1: sunshine. I want the sun.
0: Yes, I understand. But Oregon is beautiful because of (laughs) this, right? I'm into this. All right. We're back, everyone. And uh, Georgine is in Guatemala, and she'll be back on Monday. Pastor Matthew and I are discussing the significance of the history of Israel and the future, because that is a key to understanding what is unfolding in the world right now. This world is changing, and that Israel is going to be the center, and Jerusalem in particular will be the epicenter of the events that are going to be unfolding in the future. Therefore, it's very key that we understand that backdrop so we can understand what's happening in the world. And before the break, we were talking about an opportunity that you and I had to go to Israel. We were in the home of a Jewish rabbi, uh, having dinner, Sabbath, Shabbat, dinner. Actually, it was a great blessing. It was
1: an amazing dinner.
0: <clears throat> and the, to see his family, right, and to see the blessing that they put on their children, very encouraging in, in many ways. But we have opportunity to talk. Other pastors are with us. And one of the pastors asked the question, you don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. Is that correct? Right. He said, that's correct. Why not? Why don't you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? In other words, what objection do you have to Jesus? And his answer, actually, was... Pretty insightful. His answer was, when the Jewish Messiah comes, Scripture says he will defeat the enemies of Israel. This Jesus did not do. Now, again, before the break I was mentioning, this is exactly what the disciples themselves thought, that Jesus was going to bring, usher in the kingdom, the earthly kingdom, overthrow Rome, and establish, you know, the... the, the the throne of David again, you know, and the golden days of Israel will return. That's what they thought. Jesus had to correct them. So th- this rabbi had this in his mind. Jesus didn't do this. Right? So then I had an opportunity to ask a follow-up question. And my question was, when the Messiah comes at the end of the age, will he then, at that time, fulfill Isaiah 53? Now, that's important because Isaiah 53, if you're not familiar, is one of the most amazing, detailed prophecies of the crucifixion and the suffering that the Messiah is going to endure. Because it tells us in Isaiah 53, I'm just going to read a couple of verses here, but it says, Surely our griefs he himself bore. Everyone recognizes this is prophetic of the coming Messiah. Jesus fulfilled this, we know. Surely our griefs he himself bore. And our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. Scourging. Will he then at that time fulfill Isaiah 53? And the, the rabbi thought... A long time. I'm telling you... In fact, it was
1: quite the pregnant pause on that
0: one. That was was a long... And no one was going to stop him from thinking.
1: But you know, you could feel the tension in the room, because that was a zinger of a question. Yeah. Yet his answer, once again, was insightful in terms of their way of justifying Jesus not being Israel's Messiah.
0: His answer to the question was, I don't know.
1: Or perhaps there are two Messiahs, one that would die... And one, they'll be victorious.
0: Of course, that was not his answer. His answer was, "I don't know." That is, what you're bringing up, the two Messiah yeah. answer is is how some Jews try to get around because that is a that's a conundrum, mm-hmm. right? It, it is the it's a rock in a hard place. How do you answer that question? Is he going to then? Here's what's interesting: when when uh, that rabbi said. Hey, the prophecies say when the Jewish Messiah comes, he's going to defeat the enemies, right? Where does that come from? It comes from Zechariah 12, 13, and 14. And in that prophecy, it tells us that he will set foot on the Mount of Olives. We quoted that earlier. He'll enter in through, right? He'll set up and establish his throne. But it's interesting because it says, they, Israel, the Jews, will look on him whom they have pierced. Past tense. When he appears at the end of the age, he will appear as one who has been pierced through. Thus we know, from the Christian perspective, it's fulfilling Isaiah 53. Absolutely. And how did he do that? Of course he came. Those thousands of years before, 2,000 years before. But it's interesting also, because it says, when he comes at the end of the age, that he will pour out on them the spirit of grace and the spirit of supplication. And then, which, of course, is the grace of the Lord, as the I believe as the blood of Christ is offered to the Jews, they will recognize their Messiah, they will mourn for him as one would mourn for an only son, but they will nevertheless receive him as their messiah and it's interesting because it says in Chapter fourteen of Zechariah, they will say to him, "What are those wounds on your arms?" And then he will respond. These I suffered in the house of my friends. I mean, that is a powerful scripture. What's interesting is those are the very scriptures he's referring to when he says that the Messiah is going to come at the end of the age and defeat the enemies of Israel. All right. Now, we know, of course, the answer is Jesus comes twice. Once, the first incarnation, when he comes as the Redeemer, to give his life as a ransom for many, the sacrifice for our sins. That Jesus did accomplish, that the forgiveness of sin would be offered. But then Jesus himself said that he would return at the end of the age and to watch for the signs of his coming. Because the disciples asked him, like, what are the signs of the times? What are the indications that you will return? Thus, Matthew 24, Matthew 25 Very key to prophecy, and that's why I want us to understand the significance of Israel in the latter days. God's not finished with Israel. Now, did they reject the Messiah? Yes, they did. They rejected their Messiah. They did. But God's not finished with Israel, because we know that at the end of the age, he returns to Israel, because he's not finished. And he presents himself as the one that they have indeed
1: pierced. So then just to clarify, the church does not replace Israel. Right. The promises that were given to Abraham in Genesis 12 right. and 15, 17, reaffirmed in 22, right. all stand right. as unconditional, eternal promises. Mm-hmm. And as a result, that's why Paul says that God's not done with Israel yet in, in the book of Romans.
0: Well, and one of those promises he gave to Abraham is that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Yes. Right? Through Abraham, thus really through the son of promise, transferred down through the ages, through through the son of David, then Jesus, the Messiah, is going to fulfill that promise. He does, in fact, bless the nations because the gospel is the greatest blessing this earth has ever known.
1: Through the seed, singular, of Abraham, the nations, Gentiles, and Jews will be blessed.
0: That's right. So he returns. God's not finished with Israel. God is going to fulfill those promises. He is fulfilling, but will fulfill. Therefore, we need to recognize the significance of Israel in the land today their presence in that land becomes very significant in regards to the unfolding of prophecy. Now, we need to understand some of the history of how they got there. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back to that because we also need to understand then the history of the modern Palestinian problem. The conflicts in the Middle East are all connected to this. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back, and we're going to discuss then the modern history and the conflict in the Middle East and how that relates we're going to come back. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments.
2: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
0: We are back. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show. This is Pastor Rich Jones and Pastor Matthew Dodd. We are pastors at Calvary Chapel Worship Center in Hillsborough. We have the privilege today of sitting in for Georgine Rice. She is in Guatemala. And uh, she's doing a project with Food for the Poor, which I think is awesome. And she'll be back on Monday. We're talking today about the the significance of Israel in regards to the unfolding of events in the future. Now, why is that so important? Because I think we have to recognize that we are seeing prophecy unfolding before our very eyes. There is a spiritual unfolding in the nations that we're seeing right now. I think most Christians with any discernment can sense there is something changing in the world. There's a storm cloud on the horizon. There's a spiritual warfare that's being built now. So I want to talk a little bit, just before the break, we were talking uh, about when Jesus returns at the end of the age and presents himself to Israel. Because Israel, God is not finished with Israel. Let's talk now about the modern-day Israel. The significance of their being in that land, which I think is amazing again it's never happened in the history of the world that a people that have been dispersed and displaced from their land can actually return rebuild uh with their original language and and their history and their culture intact never happened in the history of the world
1: not at all and I think it is very, very fascinating. Remember, as you mentioned earlier in the other segments, that with the end times. The focus is going to be Israel. It's That's going right. to be Jerusalem. It's going to be the preparation of Israel for the coming of the king. That's right. And I found it interesting when I was going to Dallas Theological Seminary that one of my professors, Dwight Pentecost, made it very, very clear if we do not have a physical presence of Israel, right. then God's a liar because he didn't keep his word.
0: Good point. And that's important to recognize because it gives us also a bearing on what is happening in the Middle East. The conflicts in the Middle East have a cause, and we need to understand that cause. And I think there's a lot of people who don't understand, well, like, why are the Palestinians so upset? And, and why, why does this not get solved? Right? surely there must be someone who's got some kind of diplomatic ability to arise on the scene and 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 to bring some kind of peace to the Middle East there's got to be someone and when that someone arises that someone actually will be the antichrist exactly who will in fact bring peace to the Middle East because the scripture tells us that he the coming antichrist will actually make a covenant we're t- talking here about prophecies of Daniel will make a covenant with Israel between Israel and the nations of the world, to be covenant of peace. And we know that that is a seven-year covenant, looking at uh, um, Daniel prophecies again. But that Antichrist will betray Israel three and a half years, the midpoint of that. Israel will be betrayed, the Antichrist will take the temple, because we believe that a new temple will be built in Jerusalem, he will overtake the temple and even set up an image of himself there to be worshipped and recognized. What an affront, what an offense, and all hell will break loose.
1: Exactly. Now, how do we mm. get here then? I mean, we going back then to the establishment of Israel as a nation, Right. Uh, what were the steps as you see them historically that brought us to this place?
0: Well, of course, we have to think about World War II, but let's go back before that. World War II, of course, and the Holocaust was key to the the forming of the nation. But it goes back before that. Let's go back even before World War I. Because there was an, an arising of anti-Semitism in Europe and in Eastern Europe. Russia, actually. There was a tremendous amount of persecution would in you Russia. you say at
1: that time maybe more in Russia than in other parts of Europe?
0: Well, it's interesting because you, actually there were both. But what would happen is— um, there was a tremendous anti-Semitism in Europe, and uh, then it got better under Napoleon. Interestingly enough, Napoleon is one of the ones who led uh, a, a a a drive, you might say, to bring freedoms and rights back to the Jews in, in Europe. Um, as 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 in Western Europe, Israel is gaining rights. In Eastern Europe and in Russia, uh, they were losing their rights. It was getting worse and worse. Well, anyway. This anti-Semitism in Eastern Europe, but also in Western Europe, was increasing to the point that Jews were wanting to escape, the, of course. Tremendous amount of persecution brings a desire to, to, to get out of that. And so many of the Jews were leaving Russia in that time. They were going to United States, frankly, New York City, um, Chicago, some of the key centers of, uh, of Jewish immigration— Um, They went to Holy Land. There started to be something that would arise in the hearts of Jews around the world. Is it possible? Is it time for us to go back? Now, at the time, it was overseen, you might say, the power in that area was the Turks, the Turkish Empire. And uh, so this arising of, of Jews, and they, and they actually started an organization to 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 facilitate people immigrating to that land, and uh, there became this faintest, faintest dream: could we actually have our own nation again? But it was a distant dream for most of them. It was just, can we just go back? Can we just find a land again?
1: Was the land. Blowing with milk and honey at that time, what was the landscape like and, and who were the people that were primarily living there at the time?
0: So, of course, there were Arabs living there, um, controlled by the Turks, which are not Arabs, they're from modern day Turkey. And um,
1: so they. Did it thrive under their leadership?
0: So, no. It, there's, there's not much agriculture. Was it more of a wasteland in many it, ways? except for Jerusalem mm-hmm. Jerusalem was uh, a center and interestingly during that time the majority of the population of Jerusalem Jews hmm. not Arabs Jews right so they they started to 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 move to emigrate and uh, so one of the things that they decided to do was to uh build little communities a kibbutz which is is like a collective farming uh, sort of thing and um, really, in many ways, socialism. Okay, now that that's important. In many ways, it was socialism. But they started building the kibbutz, and, and immigration started coming, in. they started buying land. They're a, a uniquely Jewish approach. We're gonna just buy it, right? We're just buy acres and acres and hectares, and, and we're gonna increase these kibbutz presence. And people started immigrating, trying to get out of the persecution. Well, as the population started to increase in waves, these waves are called aliyah. Uh, as Jews are immigrating, if a Jew makes immigration today, it's still called Aliyah. <clears throat> anyway, these waves of Jews would come in, and the, the Arabs started to get a little insecure about this. Hey, if this continues, this this could end badly for us, right? But they didn't control it. The Turks controlled it, and they're not Arabs. And uh, so um, World War I comes. 1917 is pivotal. 1917, by the way, was the year, of course, of the Russian Revolution, um, which was not good for the Jews either, long term. But it was also a time when things started to change in 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 Israel. And uh, so now, British takes over because they defeat the Turks. The British now have control over this. And under the back in those days, it, it was called the League of Nations. Today. We have the United Nations. Back then, they had the League of Nations. Under that authority, it's called the British Mandate, they had control. Now they're trying to balance this conflict that's starting to arise. The Arabs are starting to feel tremendous amount of, of concern over these rising Jewish population. Now there's actually riots. There's attacks on the kibbutzim, the kibbutz. And uh, this is something that the British are having a really difficult time trying to manage. Now I can see we're going to have to take a break, and uh, although these man, this is going so fast. By so fast when we're talking. I, I, I I'm excited to get back and understand how we got to where we are in Israel today. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to dive into this and understand the significance of Israel in modern day times. We'll be right back.
2: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on ninety three point nine KPDQ.
0: Welcome back to the Georgine Rice Show. This is Pastor Rich Jones and Pastor Matthew Dodd. We're sitting in today for Georgie Rice, who's in Guatemala. She'll be back on Monday. Pastor Matthew, uh, uh, this is a topic that I'm excited to, to talk about because it is so significant, and that is, of course, the significance of Israel in the land that they are now in, their historic homeland. But the reason why that's so important is, A, it helps us to understand what's happening in the Middle East, the conflict of the Middle East, particularly the conflict with the Palestinians. But it leads us to, then, the unfolding of prophecy, which, I, which is what I want to get to here before we're finished. But I want to go back into how Israel became a nation. And I, was, I left off the last segment talking about that time after World War I when the British are now controlling this under what's called famously the British Mandate. And it's interesting because it was about this time that the the British actually uh, indicated to Israel that they would like to see Israel have their own homeland. And this was a famous letter uh, written to Lord Rothschild, right, uh, by Balfour, which became known famously as the Balfour Declaration. We believe, you know, that it would be right and good for Israel to have their own homeland. Well, Israel really held on to this, of course. Well, it also concerned the Arabs, uh, wait a minute! Like this is our homeland. Of course, they did not own it. Remember, it was under the authority of the Turks. Now it's under the authority of the British. It was not a an Arab nation. It had not been for hundreds and hundreds of years. So, the British mandate, the conflict arising between the Arabs and and the the, the Jews, and the British cannot control it. I mean, it just became untenable. Riots, attacks, terrorists, it, they just could not control it. They were getting to the point where they were ready to throw up their hands, and literally that's what they did, because they eventually uh, got to the point where they came to the United Nations that was formed and said, um, we are done, right? You're going to have to come up with a plan, because as of May fifteenth, 1948, we're done, and we're we're just leaving. And if you don't do something, there'll just be a vacuum, and they can just fight it out. I mean, that that was to the point it got to. Now, in the meantime, we had World War II, and the Holocaust and the persecution uh, of the Jews, amongst other persecutions, but primarily the Jews, six million died. What a, what a tragedy of, of humanity. And of course, now the nations are, are a little more sympathetic to the Jews, should they have their homeland. But the Arabs, of course, objected to this. So... The United Nations came up with what famously known was the partition plan. And their idea was to partition the land known as Palestine at the time into separate areas, areas for the Jews, areas for the Arabs, Palestinian Arabs. And uh, so Israel actually agreed. They accepted this this idea, this premise.
1: You mean the Jews or or Uh, Israel? I'm sorry, what did I say? He said Israel. The Jews Jews,
0: accepted this plan of partition. The United Nations actually drew boundaries for that partition. The Jews would be here, the Arabs would be there, and uh, the Arabs outright, flat outright rejected it. Absolutely no. We want all of that land, and we'll take nothing less. Absolute rejection. So what Israel did, what the Jews did, was to take the opportunity and simply declare themselves a nation based on that partition plan those boundaries they would begin to recognize as their boundaries whether the arabs recognized it or not that was what they decided to do so on may 14th 1948 israel became a nation they made that declaration david ben-gurion you know the first prime minister on the radio announced it and uh, interestingly Our president of the United States at the time was Harry Truman, who had decided that the United Nations was going to be the first nation to recognize the state of Israel. And he told his staff, you awaken me, I don't care what time it is, and I want to be out there, you know, down to the White House and make that declaration. So they woke him up at something like, uh, you know, four or five in the morning, you know. So he went down there, the United States was the first to recognize it, although that was unofficial, but nevertheless, a president recognized Israel and uh,
1: it was followed fairly uh, uh, shortly thereafter with the United Nations. Do you see with the Balfour Declaration and also the United States recognizing of Israel uh, any type of connection with theology? Was there any influence on, on those decisions, on those recommendations uh, based on the Word of God?
0: Well, Truman was a Christian, and so therefore he was a supporter of Israel because of his Christian faith. So yes, the answer is yes to that. Now, the Balfour Declaration, by the way, though it was uh, given to Lord Rothschild early in the 1900s, it became weakened, and in fact, at one point, they actually abandoned it. Okay. So um, the British were getting very frustrated, and they were not being driven by that Balfour Declaration, uh, you know, by that... Uh, time.
1: It's just more, we want to get done with this problem, and it's someone yeah. else's problem now, not ours. We can't handle this Got problem. It. The
0: Arabs are 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 ready to riot. Uh, Israel will respond to that with force, uh, or the Jews respond to it with force. It, it just became untenable. So the United Nations took up the debate. Here's an interesting factoid that many don't know. Did you know that the Soviet Union actually approved of that? And if it wasn't for the support of the Soviet Union, the nation of Israel would never have been formed. They had they had veto rights; they were for it. Now, why? Well, because at the time there were a lot of these kibbutzim, the kibbutz that were based on socialism, and so the Soviet Union had in their mind, "Hey, maybe we have an opportunity to bring them into the socialistic circle." Right. Well, it was shortly after the formation of Israel that they began to realize, oh, wait a minute, <laughs> this is actually a democratic uh, a nation, and they're not going to come into the social socialistic uh, uh, circles. And so they actually did a turnabout. But at the beginning, when 1947, when the United Nations made that declaration, uh, it was Soviet Union supporting it, which is very, very interesting.
1: What an amazing story of what God has done to bring us to where we're at today. Amazing story. You think about what God has done, and God is not slow about his promises. That's right. He's faithful to his word. Those who put their hope in him are never, ever put to shame. It really is an amazing thing that God still has a plan for Israel, which means everything that was given to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Judah, to David, are applicable today. But Let me make a statement. And that is that it
0: was not because of their faith. It was not because of Israel's faith, their faithfulness, or their reliance on God. They actually were a secular people.
1: Which further establishes the nature of the covenants that were made. That's my point. They were point. unconditional. That's
0: right. Exactly right. So God blessed that nation, oversaw the forming of that nation. Why? Because he made a promise. And he was going to fulfill that promise and Israel will recognize Jesus as the Messiah at the end of the age, which is what we want to drive towards uh, before we're done with this program. It, God's not finished with Israel, and they're going to be significant and key to the unfolding of prophecy and the nations. So that's what we want to look at when we, when we, when we go through this. But I, I want to go back for just a moment, because I want to talk about the history of the modern Palestinian problem. Because it, when Israel declared themselves to be— a nation, May 14th, 1948, we already know what happened. Five Arab nations and the Arabs within the Palestinian area, and thus make six, uh, immediately declared war and attacked. Now, that brings us to how we got to the modern Palestinian problem. Now, this is a key that war of uh, 1948, 1949 brings us to the history of the modern Palestinian problem. Now, we're going to take a break. And we're going to look at that when we come back, because it's so key to understanding how the conflict in the Middle East is unfolding today. And that's really, really key for us. We're going to look at that. We're going to take a break. You're listening to the Georgian Rice Show. We're going to take a break and be right back.
2: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
0: Welcome back. You are listening to the Georgine Rice Show, and uh, this is Pastor Rich Jones, Pastor Matthew Dodd, and uh, we're sitting in the studios today because Georgine Rice is in Guatemala and she'll be back on Monday. We're talking about the modern. Palestinian problem, the conflict of the Middle East, and how that leads us to the unfolding of prophecy. And we're going back to that point when Israel declared themselves to be a nation on May 14, 1948, and all of those Arab nations surrounding them declaring war on that very date. Now, here's something that's really key that we have to understand. When we think of the modern Palestinian problem, what are we really thinking about? Well, what we're primarily considering is the refugees. Are the refugees the refugees that came out of the nineteen forty eight nineteen forty nine war all right, how did we get these refugees back in those days? It was about between seven and eight hundred thousand living in these refugee camps uh some were in the West Bank. When we say West Bank, we mean the West Bank of Jordan, very near to Jerusalem. Some of them went to the area of Gaza, that's along the Mediterranean in the south part. Uh, Others went north into Syria, Lebanon. Those became the Palestinian refugees. Now, how do we get the refugees? Well, it was well-anticipated by these Arab nations that Israel was going to recognize or declare themselves to be a nation based on the UN partition plan that the Arabs rejected. So, in preparation for the declaration of war— They then instructed Arabs that were living in, let's call it the war zone, those areas within Palestinian-controlled, excuse me, Israel-Jewish-controlled areas, where the fighting was going to be intense. The Arab nations instructed those Palestinian Arabs living in those areas to remove themselves, to go into these temporary camps. And the idea being, it was only going to be a few weeks, because once the Arab nations attack, they're going to defeat Israel. No one in their right mind thought for any, for a moment that Israel would survive, let alone thrive and actually expand their borders. No one in their right mind thought so that.
1: five against one. How could they possibly win?
0: Plus all the Arabs uh, living uh, in that area were fighting. That makes six, really, six armies. Let's call it that. No one in their right mind thought. So therefore, this is just a temporary thing. Just a few weeks, once we defeat Israel, you can move back, and you can have the land of the Jews that we just threw into the sea. That was their intent, by the way. It was not to control the area. It was annihilation. But let's make this clear. Their intent of that 1948 war was total annihilation. In fact, the the Palestinian Arab leaders were saying, you think the Holocaust is bad? We will totally destroy. So them.
1: we're going to finish the job. We will finish
0: what the uh, Germans started. So these refugees. All right. Thus, the war began. And as I mentioned, no one in their right mind thought that Israel could survive. How did they survive? That is that is an interesting question. How is it even possible that that, that these six armies could could be defeated? Now, this is an interesting thing. There are two primary reasons. Well, there's, there's probably more. Let's call it three, actually. Three primary reasons. Number one, because Israel knew they had no choice. Win or die. See now, th- This is not the same choice the Arabs had. What, what was the motive? Okay, what, were the, what was the motive of the Arab nations in attacking? Here's an important question. Was it to form an Arab nation? Was it to form an independent Palestinian-Arab nation? No, it was not. Each one of those had the idea of expanding their own borders. Egypt wanted to make a bigger Egypt. Jordan wanted to make a bigger Jordan. Syria wanted to take the Golan Heights. Lebanon wanted to take the northern Sea of Galilee region. Each of them wanted to expand their borders. That wasn't to create a new Palestinian state. It's important to recognize the motive. So, Israel now... They need arms. They don't have an air force at all. They got a few small uh, airplanes and no pilots, none, no, no trained ones, and, uh, and and very few trained soldiers. No weapons, no ammunition. How is this going to work? Well, interesting developments. Number one, there were people in the United States buying uh, surplus planes and sneaking them out of the United States, uh, diverting them through other nations, and bringing them back uh, through, and I think it was through Finland, uh, down into uh, Israel. Might have been Czechoslovakia, but anyway. Bringing them down, buying them out, and sneaking them out. That was one. But then they needed uh, ammunition and weapons. No nation would supply them. United States? Uh, United States? No. So, union? No, no nation would supply them. How do they? How do they fight? They need weapons. They need ammunition. Answer: Czechoslovakia. Czechoslovakia knew what it was like. They were overrun by the Germans. They had a heart of compassion. They knew what it was like. They said, "Enough. We will supply them." And they supplied them. In fact, it's been well stated: without Czechoslovakia, there would not be a nation of Israel today.
1: How would that have been possible with the Soviet Union?
0: Because the Soviet Union was not wielding that same authority over them. If you remember, Soviet Union was actually for Israel at the time that they were formed. So the pivot happens a little bit later the on. The pivot happens later. They actually tell Czechoslovakia, you reverse that course. That's wrong. And, uh, but it was that opening, providing of arms, ammunition that saved Israel. They say, Czechoslovakia, of all things, right? Now, here's another reason. Aliyah, immigration. Because if you remember when the Pala- when the British were controlling the area, they were actually limiting the Jews from immigrating. Severe limitations. I mean, it, it, to the the point of oppression, <clears throat> and, and there was like a, a a sea barricade of ships, blockade rather, preventing any overland routes. All of it was blocked because the Arab pressure against the British was so high that they they, put this clamp down on immigration. Now, British leave. They are now an independent nation. There's no blockade. There's no restriction. And so Jews from all over the world are making immigration during the 1948-1949 war to the tune of 10,000 or more a month. Can you imagine now bringing these—and uh, some of them are experienced fighters from Europe. They're saying, give me, uh, uh, give me
1: some weapons and give me some ammunition. I will fight. So they had fought in World War II, yep. well-trained, and now they're able to bring that expertise to help defend their, their homeland.
0: Now, when they would approach—when the Israeli army would approach an Arab village, they would go to that Arab village leadership and say, are you for us or are you against us? if the arab village says we are taking up arms we will fight then they would the the israel uh, army would disperse the fighters and actually kick them out so now cuz one of the arab narratives is that the jews started this whole refugee problem because they kicked the arabs out to some point that's true not entirely true. The vast majority of it belongs to the uh, Palestinian Arabs who removed them.
1: But you have to keep in mind that Israel was willing to work, right? They were willing to bargain. They were willing to... They wanted to. to. to be peacefully coexist.
0: If that Arab uh, uh, village said, no, we will not take up arms, Israel said, welcome, you are now Israeli citizens, Arab-Israeli citizens, welcome, and they just absorbed them in. But... Many of the Arabs fled on their own because they thought, hey, our intent is to annihilate, right? So if they take over my village, they're going to annihilate us. we got to get out of here. And And we'll just
1: come back when we win.
0: And they ran by the hundreds of thousands. At that point, they didn't think they are going to win. Wow, this is going fast, right? We're going to have to take a break. We're going to come right back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We're going to follow up on this and talk about Israel and the future prophecy unfolding. We'll be right back. Let's take a break.
2: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
0: Welcome back to the Georgine Rice Show. This is Pastor Rich Jones, Pastor Matthew Dodd. We're sitting in for Georgine Rice. She'll be back on Monday. And Pastor Matthew, this has been an absolute joy to sit in here to the studios with you today talking about Israel. And we have one segment left here, and I want to wrap it all up. I've kind of. Left too much for the end here because there's so much more to cover. we need another two or three months to really cover this well, but uh, uh, Georgie and Rice won't let us do that.
1: Well, they can always come with you to Israel.
0: Oh, that would be awesome. We're, that be great. We're going to Israel this September, and uh, I'm excited we're gonna be leading a big group and uh,
1: and if you don't mind i'll I'll toot your horn here. Uh, you really do a great job in terms of integrating the landscape, the history, but also, uh, the Bible and prophecy on those trips. And so, boy, thanks. they can it, always call the church office if they want more information. Sure. It'll be a valuable tour.
0: Because if you want to go, I mean, it will be life-changing. It will make the Bible come alive to you like nothing else. It, it is worth, what do they say, a year of seminary or something like that. was for me. It is so amazing. Well, I want to wrap this up because I want to talk about how the modern Palestinian problem, which we were talking about before, how we got these refugees... And uh, that 700,000 refugees has grown into like 2.4 million today, by the way, s- financially supported by the UN. There's a whole lot of wish I could say on that. Another segment, we need to talk about the support that happens for those Palestinian refugees. But all of that leads us to the conflict. How is this going to be solved? The answer is that the Antichrist, actually, will arise on the scene, and he will do what no man has been able to do. Bring peace to the Middle East. How will he do that? He will make a covenant of peace with Israel and the nations. And we know from Daniel it's a seven-year covenant, in other words, that's the duration of it, which defines the end tribulation period. He will betray Israel three and a half years into that covenant, take back the temple by which he allowed it to be built. We think that's part of the covenant, a peace that he makes the deal, in other words. The allowance of the temple to be built. He takes it back, betrays Israel, sets up an image of himself to be recognized and worshiped there, and all hell breaks loose. But that really is the excuse. The Antichrist knows what he's doing, he will know what he's doing. He knows what it would take to get Israel to fight, because that's what he wants. And the reason he wants Israel to fight is so that he can bring in the armies from the north, the scripture describes there will be a massive army that will uh, encroach upon Israel, and they will come to the north. Thus, the famous Battle of Armageddon. In fact, when we go to Israel, we always go to Megiddo, where we can overlook the Jezreel Valley, and there we understand
1: the battle will unfold. And there's been so many battles that have been fought there because it's a strategic location Mm -hmm. in terms of its relationship to Jerusalem.
0: And if you're going to bring an army to attack uh, Jerusalem, because that's obviously what you have to do is to defeat Israel, is to defeat Jerusalem. You've got to come down that valley, and it would bring you to the Jordan Valley. You would come down, and you would approach Jerusalem from that direction. <clears throat> and so now we look at, see what's happening in the nations of the world. We understand the Antichrist, then we'll lead this army that will come from the north. And, uh, of course, we see the tensions that are rising in the world. We're seeing camps, you might say of nations, Russia, and their intent in regards to Syria. What's happening in Syria is not to be overlooked.
1: I think it's fascinating what's happened in Syria, because it really sets the stage for the presence of Russia right on the northern border of Israel.
0: They want Syria, right? They want that that footprint. They want to have that possession. They want control of that area for exactly that right reason. And now here's another interesting Development in the world scene, which is the relationship between Russia and China, and the animosity that is building between China and the United States, because you know the United States is the, the primary supporter of Israel in the world. And so now this animosity that's arising between China and the United States, the partnership that's arising between China and Russia becomes significant, and here's why. Because the scripture describes that when that army approaches uh, and attacks, it will be massive in the millions. Who in the earth today has an army of that size? Only one I know is China. Exactly. And that partnership then is going to be part of the fulfilling of that prophecy. The foothold of Syria is key. That's why that is so important for us to keep then our eyes. Then you
1: add Iran into the mix. Right. Ancient they're... Persia. Exactly.
0: There's going to be... and. We are seeing right now um, some tensions arising with Iran. Of course, we were there in Israel. We talked to some of the officers in the Israeli Defense Forces. Literally
1: right on the border. Literally, they are right on the border. They were watching us. The enemy was watching us from their black Mercedes-Benz. and right. We were reviewing their land as well.
0: Now they are the pre- we're talking of Hezbollah, right? So Iran is the primary backer of Hezbollah. Their presence is irrefutable. The IDF put out a interesting little graphic the other day. I don't know if you saw it or not, but it was put out by the IDF, right? And it was a map of the Middle East, and uh, it, it had these arrows pointing towards Iran, where Iran should be. And then it had over here, where Iran is, over here in Syria. (laughs) They don't belong there. This is Iran. That's where they should be. What are they doing in Syria? They're building up an army. They're building up weapons. They are preparing for this attack. So in many ways, Iran becomes the catalyst, you might say, of the future unfolding of this conflict that will arise in the Middle East. What we're seeing in the nations, we have to understand in the backdrop of prophecy— because all of that will lead to the return of the Messiah. We talked about the Jewish rabbi and, and his 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 comments. Israel today is still looking for their Messiah. Now, they will sign that PD of Trees with the Antichrist. Three and a half years later, they will realize that was a terrible
1: mistake. So they'll think he's the benefactor <clears throat> of Israel, but right. then he will pivot and become the persecutor right. of Israel.
0: But here's the thing. I've been asked many times, do they— Does Israel believe, or will Israel believe, that the Antichrist is, in fact, the Messiah? Well, the Messiah is going to overthrow the nations that are against it. So he brings a covenant of peace. I don't myself believe that they think he's the Messiah. They don't, you know, oh, our great Jewish Messiah. I'm not even sure that he's going to be Jewish, honestly. Could well be Muslim. But they nevertheless respect him. And they do recognize him as a leader of the nations that can, in fact, broker peace where no one can do it. So they do recognize, give him uh, a place of authority. But I don't believe myself that they would recognize him as their Messiah. That is yet to come. For when those nations uh, attack, then, of course, they look for their Messiah, the one who will fulfill that prophecy to overthrow the nations. That is Jesus, our great Lord and Savior. He will arise on the scene in the latter days. He will uh, step foot on the Mount of Olives. He will enter into Jerusalem, where he will rule and reign the nations for a thousand years. This is fascinating, because, you know, in Islam, they believe that a twelfth imam will come, and they believe that he will rule Jerusalem for seven years.
1: Wow. You see, all these things coming together. God is fulfilling his word right before our very eyes, so I know we're getting close to the end here. For us, as Christians, what should be our posture? What should be our focus? What should be our view of Israel?
0: Well, let's start with what Jesus said in regards to when he laid out in Matthew 24 and 25 the signs of the times. He then followed that up by saying, therefore, you be on the alert. That's his answer watch be on the alert be ready christians today they need to be watching what's happening in the nations of the world against the backdrop of prophecy of scripture that's what christians today we need to understand what's happening in the world by understanding what's happening in scripture prophetically pastor matthew this has been an absolute joy to host a show with you this has gone by so quickly we need more time there's so much more to discuss And uh, I thank Georgine Rice for allowing us the privilege of coming in here, talking about something that's near and dear to our hearts. We get to go back to Israel again this September, and uh, it's going to be a joy to see and talk about it all again right there on that place. But for now, this is Pastor Rich Jones and Pastor Matthew Dodd signing off. This has been the Georgine Rice Show. Thank you so much for joining us. Hope to see you again.
2: Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast.